0: Are you ready for phenomenal thought leadership from the most well-respected leaders in industry? Join us for stellar conversations and sound advice from trailblazers who have a passion for excellence. Learn best practices that will catapult the culture of your company into a new level of greatness. Welcome to Great Companies, Great Leaders. Your host is Christine Gannon.
1: Welcome to another edition of Great Companies, Great Leaders. I'm your host, Christine Gannon, and super honored and excited today to have with us a very special guest, Lorette Edmonds, who's CEO of Utopology. Lorette, welcome.
2: Thank you. I'm happy to be here. I honored myself.
1: So a little bit about Lorette and her company before we get started. She's the founder of Utopology with over 25 years of experience developing and growing sales, marketing, product development, HR, and operations teams inside of small, medium, and Fortune 100 companies. She has extensive experience, executive coaching, and C-level professionals. She specializes in strategic planning, culture design, and career pathing and development. Prior to establishing her company, she held leadership positions in commercial real estate, talent acquisition, and technology companies. She served in roles such as Chief Operating Officer, Vice President, and Product Manager. And during her tenure, she's built up many teams, such as sales, HR, operations, finance, and has mentored and coached many of her employees through growth and promotions. Renowned for her innate ability to accurately assess a situation or a person, Larit strives to develop simple approaches with her clients to achieve their desired goal. She's deeply empathetic, and she has the ability to see from her client's perspective while possessing the clear-eyed vision to see what the client cannot in any given situation. She's personable and knowledgeable, and Larit is known for establishing meaningful relationships with clients, which aids her intuition of best fit matches between individuals and organizations. It's so great to have you here. I, I would love for you to share with our audience your journey. How, how did you arrive at CEO of a company? How did, how did that all come together? Um, you, to be honest with you, I wish I could
2: say that I had this well thought out plan and I just executed on all the steps, but it, it wasn't this way. Um, I was born and raised in Israel. My, my father um, wa- had a, started a company when he was 21 years old. He knew he would always have to be, wanted to be independent. And, um, and I grew up watching him develop and, and grow this company. And um, I think, you know, I think the entrepreneurship gene is in fact not a myth. Not, it's not a myth. It's true. It, you're either born with it or not. And, and funny enough, both my sister and I, Run companies, and my brother is is the next generation in my dad's company. And so, um I, I think we were all just uh, inspired by that. Um, and I thrive on growth. I love growth, growth and development. i'm I'm naturally curious. Um, I love to know what the next step is and what the next step is. and so I, I'm sure that it applied to my career as well. Um, I'm also incredibly benevolent, meaning I, I thrive on the success of others that I care about, and I thrive on my ability to support their success as they go through it. And so, you know, I think that um, the people around you raise you as you raise them, and and I'm sure that that had
1: something to do with that as well. Absolutely. I, I agree with you on so many things, and something you mentioned about the entrepreneurship gene. So both of my biological parents were entrepreneurs and very, very successful, and so I never really thought about it that way in terms of entrepreneurship being, you know, something that is genetic, but I bet it is because my oldest son has started um, numerous businesses. He's 20, and he has from the time he was little figured out how to how to have businesses. So, I think you're right. Mm-hmm. So, as you've coached and worked with so many leaders, what are some of the greatest lessons that you you've found from leadership? Many,
2: it's too many to name here, but I'll 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 just select a few that I think will resonate for up and coming leaders or our new leaders. It's harder than you think, and whatever you think you know, you know very little of. And whatever you think you've worked on to prepare you for this job, um, is probably going to represent a, a section of what you need to know. And right whole new skill set that you're going to have to learn on the job it's kind of building the plane as we fly it kind of a thing um that that was one of my biggest learnings um is that leadership management is a profession all on its own Mm -hmm. and that you can read all of the leadership books until you start applying them in actuality and you're sitting in the seat day in day out having to make decisions not until you do that do you actually work the muscles that will eventually transform you into a manager manager and leader the other thing that i think is a misconception is that there are good managers and bad managers there are people that were born good leaders and bad and people that just weren't supposed to be i think it's about passion i think mm-hmm. if you have the passion to influence through that through that vehicle you thrive on the experience of guiding and um, being part of people's lives Mm -hmm. in that lens, then you will become a good manager and a good leader. You'll invest the time to improve your skill sets where they need improvement. Um, And I just find that certain people just don't derive the joy from that experience, yet they feel like they need to stay in that role in order to... um, Uh, you know, fits some sort of a social paradigm, right, of success. If I'm not, right, if I'm
1: not there
2: for, I've not achieved professional success. And what I have found, and I'm encouraged by that, is that especially in the larger organizations, there are such roles that are very influential and um, pay well and are successful, yet do not have senior leadership or management responsibilities. And um, and I think that's necessary. And I think that when people realize what they like and what they don't like, they naturally fit into into those lines and they thrive. I agree. The other misconception is that i and i've I've made that mistake many times myself in leadership roles is that you believe that if you have a good relationship with your employees, they'll tell you everything.. Mm. <laughs> no. Does that resonate for you?
1: <laughs> yes.
2: Um, and it's and it, quite frankly, you know, it's it's kind of a double-edged sword because as a leader, it's your responsibility to buffer and to filterize some information, you know, through the chain of command. It's right. your responsibility. And but the assumption is that the employees don't do that, you know, they don't do that in return. And they do. They do. And they do, right? The challenge is if you don't accept that as a leader, if you don't recognize that, you assume that you know everything that you need to know and you operate with that confidence and with that premise in your decision-making and your day-to-day actions. And sometimes it could lead you down the wrong path.
1: Mm. It's now, so true. Accept,
2: right? And to expect the employees to then tell you everything is also unreasonable because you won't as a, as a leader
1: right. and they won't
2: as employees it's just not possible under the structure that we have today in
1: corporate america that's such a good point such a such a true misconception that i think leaders expect out of their employees especially like you said when there's a good relationship right
2: right so those were
1: those are my three i'd say uh, top learnings the other thing i wanted to come back to when you were talking about people not having passion and not finding joy in leadership, I think oftentimes, one of the mistakes that really good leaders make is they have employees who perform at a really high level in the role that they're in, potentially not a management level role. And they feel like, wow, you're doing so great here. I'm going to promote you to manager. And and not everybody is cut out for leadership and management, to your point. Not everyone finds joy and fulfillment in that role. And just because they're doing really well in one role, doesn't mean that they're going to do really well as a manager. And I have seen that so many times. I know, right? Yeah. Where it's, it's like, you're that. doing so good. Let's right.
2: promote you, but maybe not. Right. And the, the promotion conversation is, is uh, so prevalent and so much easier to have, but then the backtracking conversation of we tried and it didn't work. Where yeah. do we go from here? Right. It's just not a conversation that we're comfortable in having, and and I agree with you. I've seen it so many times um, as a consultant going into organizations where you see the manager who who uh, um, instigated or, or initiated the promotion and then the employee that got promoted neither one of them are happy with the situation yet they just don't know how to approach it and it, there's almost this misconception that if you didn't do well as a manager then you should leave the organization in order to start again Which, it's like we're not going to be able to overcome
1: this disappointment or this failure right right when in reality had they done an assessment and really you know had conversation and different communication related to what this means and an employee who was honest and not just looking at the title or maybe the potential salary bump, you know there, it takes it just takes a lot. So I think there's an opportunity absolutely for for leadership to consider that differently. So as we stay on that topic of leaders, do you think there's a difference between men and women leaders? From my perspective, I'd say absolutely. Um, well, let's talk about leadership in general. Um, leadership is defined
2: as the, well, at least in my mind, leadership is defined as the responsibility and the ability to influence decisions um, inside of an organization and then authorize, well, authorize them into execution. That, that's how I see it. Another simple way of saying it is that leadership equals power. Mm. And uh, what I find in my own personal experience and in all of my readings is that um, there is a higher concentration of manipulation Mm. and narcissism inside of those C-level positions, especially within CEOs and presidents and chairmen. And, you know... my, my concern for women going into that situation um, is that if they've not been exposed to that type of, of dynamic, where manipulation and narcissism are prevailing and are accepted, in fact, are uh, encouraged in some ways, right. um, that they will not have the tools to, to deal with them. Now, what happens when you're a C-level uh, woman executive that when you bring these things up to the table you are perceived as being dramatic or emotional or unfocused or unsupportive of the mission of the leader or the organization right. whereas when a, a man may not even bring it up or will have a better um, idea of how to play the rules of the game that way or will be invited into the game to begin with where women have a diff, more difficult time getting invited into that inner circle to begin with. Absolutely. I, mean, I I don't play golf and I don't smoke, smoke cigars. And <laughs> I am not an avid sports fan of any sort. I'll watch a game, but I, I'm certainly not going to spit out stats and I'm not going to be in anyone's fantasy league. Sure. And so, you know, all of those natural social circles that occur for men are still a barrier for women. And they have to continually create
1: other opportunities in order to be invited in. So that is going to play out very interesting as we come out of COVID. As we look at statistics related to women leaving the workforce and women who have chosen not to come back, um, who are maybe moving to part time from full time, or maybe choosing an entirely different career path because it's too much stress. You know, I think things are shifting and. It will be to the detriment of our country and our company and the world, quite honestly, if we don't figure out pathways for women to come back that are flexible Mm -hmm. and those paradigms that you talked about, that they shift, Mm -hmm. that, you know, there are statistics and, and, and I can pull these. I don't have the exact numbers off the top of my head, but related to GDP for our country and how much is at stake if women leave the workforce. Women are a significant economic driver in the country and in companies. So it's an opportunity for us to look at this differently. COVID has really given us this opportunity to look at how can women be successful in leadership and how do we break down some of these walls, not only glass ceilings, but how do we break these walls down for women? agree I, I i must tell you i couldn't agree with you more at this point there's meta
2: research that shows a strong correlation between the level of education with women and the gdp of a country globally not even in the us and that the key to improving the gdp in a country is simply to improve the level of education of women this is the one factor and okay. and it's- Again and again, and at this point, it's even meta. And so I'll throw this back to you, is what do you think is the primary impediment that that prevents women from being perceived this way? Meaning, why isn't the government taking even more aggressive steps to ensure that women are represented at that
1: 50% level across the board? That's a great question. I think there are a lot of companies and countries who have figured it out. And I think parts of the United States, like, for example, in California, we have the law that that was just passed, spearhead by by one of our fellow podcast guests, Betsy Berkamer-Creder. She spearhead, you know, in California, the bill that requires every corporate board to have at least one woman on their board. Mm-hmm. And 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 until it becomes law I don't think things change. Things are humming along they're not broken. I think COVID is breaking things mm-hmm. and I think that's going to be an opportunity for us. Before that, I think there's you know there's flexibility that some companies have put in place that help women but again, the pandemic has really put a spotlight on how much women juggle as they manage their career, their family, their home, their elderly parents, schools, and, and a million other things that women take on. I think COVID has really put a spotlight on that. And for companies to create pathways for them to come back, um, I think it's gonna have to be the company. I don't, I don't know at the government level if if we'll be successful anytime soon. It feels like molasses when something has to go through the government, but countries. And companies and and people within the countries and companies can make a difference well, if you if
2: you derive from um, economics, wh- how you shift economics in a country is that it starts at the business level. But if you want to create sustainable change, it needs to be legislative absolutely. And so, if we derive from that, then it certainly means that the meaningful change has to occur inside of corporate America to the point that it becomes legislation.
1: Um,
2: Ruth Bader Ginsburg, Ginsburg um, was asked once how she felt when a second uh, woman uh, judge was uh, appointed to the Supreme Court. And she said it, it, something along the lines, and I'm really going to butcher it, but she said there's nothing to celebrate until it's a 50/50 ratio as it should be right. right absolutely and and when you said that i mean i'm i'm so happy and excited for this new legislation in california but it requires one woman um represent, right. representative on a board and and i question myself well why is it just one right one?
1: right right absolutely Absolutely. Different countries are doing great things, and and I think there are best practices. It just takes really courageous and bold people to stand up, men and women, to stand up and decide change is needed and and to look at it from to your point, an economic perspective, because it is. Mm-hmm. It is Forbes recently published um, recently published statistics of a study they have done. And, and I'll drop the link in the YouTube chat in the in the notes, but it's dramatic when women are not in the workforce. It's dramatic. Yes. So I'm going to switch gears and, yes. and wind us down a little bit in terms of leadership. Talk to me a little bit about your thoughts and what advice you give when you coach to someone going into a leadership position for the first time.
2: So a leader's job is incredibly difficult especially if it's a leader that sits in that middle section of 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 the organization not even C level but mid management a manager a, a senior manager director executive director even vice president it's an incredibly difficult job because you are every you know consistently being sandwiched between two very strong powers the power of your senior leadership and the power of of mm. your subordinates and it's incredibly difficult to satisfy both and so when i start working with a leader i ask them to sit down and and truly evaluate the definition of doing a good job
1: mm.
2: I, I find that that managers especially new managers don't quite understand what are the fundamental attributes or or triggers that they ought to pay attention to that ultimately will define the experience. It's not even an 80-20 rule. It's more like a 50-50 rule. Right. 50% that matters the most and the other 50% tends to work itself out or become insignificant in the aggregate. And once, once they understand what is that 50% that, that is non-negotiable, they operate with confidence. Yes. And they operate with confidence, not just the way that they manage their subordinates, but how they manage the dialogue with their leadership, especially when leadership starts going away with other agendas and other priorities that, that really deter from the core focus of what means to, to them as going doing a good job. And so, in an ideal I, scenario, it would be a contract, almost like a theoretical contract that you strike with your employees as well as your supervisors, so that everybody understands what we're here to do. Does that make sense?
1: Yeah, absolutely. No, that absolutely makes sense. And I think just throughout this podcast, quite honestly, not only that amazing nugget, but the other ones that you've given in terms of misperceptions and misconceptions Mm -hmm. about leadership really are tremendous um, nuggets for people to consider, not only as they enter leadership, but if they're in a leadership position, they've been there a long time even, and they need to sit back and assess, especially as potentially you're going back into the office. Dynamics shift and change. Communication shifts and changes. So I think you've, you've given some tremendous advice and I really, really appreciate it. I know our audience will appreciate it. I'm going to end with one, one last question for you. Personally, how do you, how do you continue to grow and develop yourself as a leader? One word, vulnerability. Mm.
2: and i'll leave this with you is that there's this again a common misconception throughout i i don't think it's even just corporate america i think it's culturally for us that um vulnerability is associated with weakness or that Mm -hmm. vulnerability is weakness whereas it's quite the contrary the ability of a human being to be vulnerable creates an immense amount of resilience and and grit, quite frankly.
1: Yes. And
2: growth and development and awareness yeah. uh, and clarity. I mean, I, I can just go on and on and on, but it's by far one of the hardest things to do to sit in front of someone else that you may or may not have trust with and ask them for feedback and then let that feedback seep in and then make the choice of what you choose to adopt and what you choose to reject. And if you choose to adopt it, allow it to create change inside of you is an incredibly difficult thing to do. It requires maturity and it, it it truly requires vulnerability, but, but nothing I've never found anything else that can inspire quicker growth than the ability to adopt vulnerability. And so I've been on that journey. I'm a student of it by no means. Am I an expert? Can I say that? I figured it out. <laughs> But what I can say is that even adopting small amounts of vulnerability, just making small steps in the right direction creates such an immense change that it's almost like a self-fulfilling prophecy in a good way, is that it allows to to gain the confidence to go through the difficult steps of gaining that vulnerability. Because let me just say, it's not fun, nor
1: nor is it easy, but the outcome on the other side of it is worth the journey. Absolutely, and I I couldn't agree with you more because vulnerable leaders have have teams that want to follow because they feel like their leader's authentic. Vulnerability brings a level of authenticity, and on the flip side, being an employee of a leader who's vulnerable, I think it opens the door for a much different type of experience. Absolutely, In- the conversation, the growth, absolutely. I agree. Larit, thank you so much for being with us today. So appreciate your insights, your vulnerability for sure, and all that you shared. I know you left some tremendous nuggets. How can how can our audience find you? Um, I am on LinkedIn. Um, so certainly
2: through there. My website, UDAPology, um, um Certainly through there, or my email, Larit.edmonds at
1: UDology.com. And Edmonds is E D M U N D S. Perfect. And we will drop it in the notes in YouTube, but thank you so much. Thank you.
0: Brightworks Consulting hosts this podcast and YouTube channel to spotlight the leadership around the world that is changing lives. Brightworks offers a myriad of consulting services in the public and private sector to include diversity, equity and inclusion solutions for any size company. You can find us at www.brightworksconsulting.com. We're honored to have Best Companies AZ as a presenting sponsor for this podcast. Best Companies AZ is your number one source for regional employer branding. You can find them at www.bestcompaniesaz.com.